This episode of Value Hive is brought to you by Tegas. If you enjoy listening to Value Hive, you'll love the Tegas product. Tegas has the world's largest collection of instantly available expert interviews on all the public and private companies that you care about. All you have to do is log in. So if you're tired of high cost and time consuming expert research calls, give Tegas a try and see for yourself why many of the most trusted and well-respected hedge funds, mutual funds, family offices, allocators, and VCs rely on Tegas to scale their expert research and to get the critical information they need faster than ever. You can sign up for a free trial at tegas.co forward slash value hive. That's tegas.co forward slash value hive. And as a personal anecdote, I use Tegas literally every single day. It's the first resource I use when I start researching uh, a new investment, and it's one of the last things I do uh, before I finish up rounding out my research, and I know you'll love it as much as I do. Before we dive into today's conversation, I want to talk to you about MIT Investment Management Company, also known as Matimco, the investment office of MIT. Each year, Matimco invests with a handful of new emerging managers who it believes can earn exceptional long-term returns in support of MIT's mission. In order to help the emerging manager community more broadly, they created EmergingManagers.org, a website for emerging manager stock pickers. For those looking to start a stock picking fund or those just looking to learn about how others have done it, I highly recommend this site. You'll find essays and interviews by successful emerging managers, service providers used by MIT's own fund managers, essays Matimco has written for emerging stock pickers, and more. Matimco also occasionally and opportunistically hires new members for their investment team. To view the job description, please visit matimco.org slash global dash investor. That's M-I-T-I-M-C-O dot O-R-G slash global dash investor. The Matimco team spends their time learning about great businesses and investments, working with exceptional investors around the world in order to support generations of MIT innovators. This episode is brought to you by Ticker. Ticker Ticker.com is focused on bringing institutional-level investment research to you, the individual investor. Ticker.com is powered by S&P Global Capital IQ and has coverage over 50,000 stocks globally with financial data, estimates, valuation metrics, ownership percentages, transcript filings, news, and more. ValueHive listeners can join Ticker's free beta trial today at Ticker.com forward slash hive. That's T-I-K-R dot com forward slash hive. This is Third Point Capital's third quarter 2023 letter. Dear investor, during the third quarter, Third Point returned negative negative 0.9% in the flagship offshore fund. The top five winners for the quarter were UBS Group AG, Jacobs Solutions Inc., Vistra Corp., Shell PLC, and Dana Hair Corp. The top five losers for the quarter were Pacific Gas and Electric, Microsoft, Hertz Global Holdings, Bath and Body Works Inc., and LVMH, Moet, Hennessy, Louis Vuitton. Performance Review and Portfolio Outlook. The funds generated small losses in the third quarter. Our equity book modestly outperformed broader indices, and both corporate and structured credit, which are roughly 40% of overall exposure, continued to generate attractive risk-adjusted returns with less volatility than equity markets. Markets in the third quarter were intensely focused on the dramatic moves in long-term interest rates as 10-year and 30-year U.S. Treasury yields climbed 73 and 84 basis points respectively, levels last seen before the great financial crisis. Real interest rates are now firmly positive after several years of dovish monetary policy that proved to be a boon to multiples and financial engineering. 
While the moves in stocks have seemed violent at times, the market reaction to macro developments in the third quarter was quite rational. Unprofitable growth stocks, levered companies, and bond proxies like utilities, real estate, and staples were the big underperformers. Our equity portfolio performed relatively well in this environment, with shorts significantly underperforming longs for the first time this year. Our long book had limited exposure to bond proxies like staples and real estate, and while our largest equity position, PCG, is a utility, its deeply discounted valuation made it far less vulnerable to rate moves than peers, allowing it to extend its relentless period of outperformance versus the sector. It is hard to overstate the market's current obsession with balance sheet strength. This is a growing area of focus for the investment team as major systematic moves generally create great idiosyncratic opportunities that can only be uncovered through old-fashioned fundamental research. Distinguishing which companies have real leverage problems versus perceived leverage problems involves thorough analysis of asset sale opportunities, capital structures, and cash flow statements, all areas where third point has a durable competitive advantage. Our equity team's consistent collaboration with our structured credit, corporate credit, and private credit groups provides us real-time insights into the broad suite of solutions available to corporates to manage their balance sheets to create or preserve equity value. The current opportunity set in credit is the most attractive overall since 2020. Spreads are not extraordinarily wide, but yields are exceptionally attractive, close to 10% on the JPM Global High Yield Index, and we are seeing wide dispersion between high-quality and more complex situations. While overall corporate leverage is high, we believe that if the average is disaggregated, the high leverage levels are buried in private credit and public credit leverage remains modest by historical standards. Corporate Credit Update Third Point's corporate credit portfolio has contributed 1.3% to fund returns on a net basis year-to-date and outperformed the JPM domestic high-yield index by more than 450 basis points during that time period. In Q3, we continued to actively trade the portfolio, and several event-driven situations either came to fruition or reached their price targets. Every significant new position we initiated was in a security with an upcoming hard catalyst. We are finding many opportunities in improving credits with bulletproof securities, by virtue of seniority, security, or both, yielding 10 to 13%. Throughout the year, we have maintained our focus on relatively defensive industries such as healthcare and telecommunications. We've also concentrated on credits that face challenges in their capital structures or businesses that we believe are temporary and relatively easy to overcome. We expect these situations to generate total returns in the mid to upper teens with modest credit risk. Given this environment, we expect to continue to increase corporate credit exposure in the coming quarters. Structured Credit Update Structured credit remains a compelling asset class in the current market environment. The strategy's high-risk adjusted yield and lower correlation to the broader markets allow us to invest higher in the capital structure with superior overall yields. The strategy has also contributed 1.3% to fund returns on a net basis year-to-date. Our mortgage portfolio outperformed relative to the 40% interest rate hedge ratio we have maintained as home values and non-performing delinquent loan prices improved. As rates continue to march higher, we have seen renewed interest from various asset managers and credit, particularly structured credit loans, as unlevered yields for residential mortgages and consumer loans have moved into the 8-12% to yield context. Money managers and insurance companies were the first to add exposure at the start of the year, and we are now seeing capital inflows from hedge funds and private credit slash equity firms. Given our extensive relationship with mortgage services, 
or servicers. We have been working to improve our liquidation pipelines to maximize total recovery on non-performing loans, which we expect to comprise about 15% of our loan pools on average. This strategy is particularly valuable when the loan-to-value of the mortgages is around 55%. And we have seen an improvement in house prices for the sub $350,000 home value segment in the last six months. On the ABS side, we are proactive in selling subprime auto ABS earlier in the year and have seen default rates and loss severities increase in the last few months. We believe this is an early indication of a slow reversal in consumer performance. We have focused on more senior cash flows where the deleveraging per profile enables us to reinvest at higher yields and with more liquidity, giving us the option to rotate into distressed asset classes if the opportunity arises. We are spending more time on the commercial real estate sector and believe there will soon be emerging opportunities to invest in senior tranches from forced sellers. Business update. We recently welcomed a new team member to Third Point. Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor joined Third Point in 2023. After starting his career at Deloitte, Chris joined New York Life Investments in 2005 as a credit analyst and rose to CEO of Madison Capital Funding, its private lending boutique, where he helped build the platform to over $15 billion in assets and oversaw a team of 100 people. He was also the founding CEO of, of Apogym Capital, which merged Madison Capital and two other investment boutiques owned by New York Life Investments to create a single, fully integrated alternative investment boutique focused on middle market private capital solutions with $40 billion of AUM and over 200 employees. Chris earned a Master of Science in Taxation and BS in Accounting from the University of Illinois. Chris will work closely with the credit team on distressed and other opportunities emerging from the $1.5 trillion private credit universe, as well as helping us build a standalone private credit business to be launched in 2024. Sincerely, Daniel Loeb, CEO and CIO. This is Sora Peak Capital Partners Q3 2023 letter. Dear partners and friends, our partnership recorded a gain of 27% net of all fees, expenses, and allocations for the quarter ending September 30th, 2023. Over the same period, the S&P 500 recorded a loss of 3.3%, including dividends. The below table highlights the partnership's key portfolio composition metrics as of September 30th, 2023. And it looks like the number of holdings are 13, top five holding concentration 61.6, average market cap 319 million, and investments non-US 74.2%. Our partnership performed quite well this quarter on both an absolute and relative basis. As our readers know, our sole objective at Sober Peak is to compound our partnership's capital at the highest rate of return responsibly possible. In order to accomplish this objective, we relentlessly seek out exceptionally mispriced equities within the small cap and micro cap segments of the market across the developed world. I'm happy to report that our investments delivered against our partnership's objective these past several months in a big way. Since inception, our results so far have corroborated our long-standing belief that deep structural inefficiencies exist within our investable universe, as well as our confidence in our perceived ability to identify mispriced securities within this universe with decent accuracy. We remain tireless in our pursuit of unearthing compelling investment opportunities, which this quarter has yielded new holdings, and we look forward to continuing to execute upon our partnership's guiding objective for years to come. While a 27% gain would represent a terrific year, let alone a quarter, we remain humble, realistic, and focused on the long-term performance of our individual holdings and our collective portfolio. We regularly review our holdings accordingly in a disciplined fashion. 
As always, I would like to extend a thank you to all of our outstanding limited partners, including those of you who have recently joined our partnership, for your steadfast commitment and trust. For prospective partners wishing to learn more, we are currently open to new introductions. Trip to Australia. In October, I spent 10 days traveling through Australia's cities, Perth and Sydney, to conduct primary research on two of our partnership's holdings, Mater Group and Duratech. The purpose of this trip was to confirm or disconfirm existing hypotheses held for each company to gain a more granular understanding of each company's business model and to uncover any new useful data points. The trip proved to be valuable on many fronts and the overall takeaways for both companies were positive. One interesting element on Australian publicly listed businesses was that that was reinforced to me during my discussions with operators, investors, and locals was just how isolated Perth and Western Australia are from the rest of Australia in several regards. Geographically, Western Australia contains 33% of Australia's landmass, yet only boasts a population of 2.7 million people, or 11% of Australia's 25.7 million total population. Within Western Australia, its most populous and only true city, Perth, fields a population of around 2 million. In addition to being physically separated from Eastern Australia, it also seems that Western Australia is considered by many in the East to be a different country altogether. It is even generally viewed as an afterthought when compared to the country's more popular eastern cities. Interestingly, this mindset appears to prevail within Australia's investment community as well, and as a result, Perth-based companies seem to receive less coverage and less interest than their eastern-based counterparts. I don't have any empirical evidence to verify this observation, but I expect it may partially explain why I found why I have also found Perth-based companies to be less efficient, all else equal, than their eastern-based peers within Australia. With respect to Mater Group and Duratech, below is a summary of my field research takeaways. Mater Group. Mater Group's executive team was kind enough to welcome me to their headquarters, where I was introduced to various business functions and team members, as well as given a tour of one of their off-site maintenance centers where select mining vehicle repairs take place. After having spent over two years studying and investing in this business, it was helpful to finally see the vehicle repairs in action while being accompanied by CEO Justin Nooch and the maintenance center's general manager. This allowed for a more granular understanding of the nuts and bolts of the company's business model. It was also valuable to meet various internal business teams such as Culture Unit 3 Gears, which is undertaking initiatives to maximize mechanic retention, and the Centralized Mechanic Oversight Unit, which is harnessing the power of Mater Group's significant investments in proprietary technology, a key reason why no competitor has been able to scale beyond a fraction of Mater Group's size and scope. Above all, perhaps the most important takeaway from my time spent with Mater Group was the evident pride and passion for the company, almost electric, that rated from just about every employee. Looking around at all the op optionally donned polo shirts with company logos and chatting with a handful of folks, it was evident to me that upper management has fostered a culture where employees across all functions are ambitious for the company and feel unified in their mission of success. In my experience, having a powerful culture, which can manifest in different forms, is one of the intangible business attributes that is difficult to quantify, but many of the companies that experience long-term success possess it. 
we remain excited about Mater Group's long-term business prospects and its potential to generate attractive returns for our partnership. The company's vast organic rights to win in North America, where it currently only captures 2-3% of its total addressable market, should provide a long runway for earnings growth for the years to come. For context, Mater Group possesses over 40% market share in Australia, which suggests a potential multi-billion dollar opportunity in North America of 10 to 20x its current annual revenue there. Duratech. Duratech's executive team was extremely kind in the depth and breadth of access they allowed me to meet with executive management, spend time with business unit leaders, and perform site visits across just about every business segment. As an asset remediator, Duratech is quite unique in its collection of business segments in which it performs work including Department of Defense naval sites, mine sites, oil and gas projects, buildings and facade projects, and various government work. Fortunately for me, Duratech was able to arrange site visits for at least one project across each of its major business segments. This included trips to the Garden Island Naval Base off the coast of Perth, the Boddington Gold Mine two hours south of Perth, the Central Park Tower Facade Enhancement Project, a tour of Wilson's Pipe Fabrications Warehouse Facilities, the Cockatoo Island Remediation Projects in Sydney, and more. Each of these visits was accompanied by a manager at Duratech. This made for educational experiences and crystallized my understanding of how each business unit operates within the greater company, how each business unit fits within its competitive landscape, and the clear paths to continuing to expand each business unit's revenues and profits. During these visits, it was the finer details such as the interactions at Boddington Goldmine with mine site engineers and Newmont decision makers, and at the Garden Island Naval Base with Duratech field staff that helped tie loose ends and improve my comprehension of Duratech's business in ways that would not have been possible from behind a desk in New York. Spending time at MEND Consulting's main office in Perth was also certainly a highlight. Men's senior employees walked me through a 3D modeling software equipped with their proprietary AnnoView API, as well as their NATA-accredited petrography lab. The team at MEND is clearly highly motivated and driven to remain at the cutting edge of technological applications within the field of asset remediation, which should continue to bode well for Duratech as a whole going forward. The most impressive takeaway during my time spent with the Duratech team was the sheer depth of talent they possess throughout their first and particularly second level management. Having discussions with executives across all business functions mentioned above, as well as with DDR and the East Coast main office, made it clear to me that Duratech's business units are run in largely decentralized fashions. Segment leaders take direction from top management, but carry heavy responsibilities themselves, and also exhibit a strong sense of entrepreneurial spirit. Over the course of car rides and shared meals, if there were one consistent theme among these managers, it was the deep well of ideas all of them had to improve their businesses, coupled with an eagerness to implement these ideas and score meaningful wins for their teams. In examining Duratech's business units, there's a lot I find to be enthusiastic about for the company's future. The company's fast-growing Department of Defense business segment, most recently delivering $229 million in annual revenue, appears well-positioned to eventually become a $1 billion annual revenue standalone business. The mining and industrial segment continues to deepen its ties within existing bases and gradually win additional high-margin work. 
The buildings and facades segment should continue enjoying the nationwide flammable cladding remediation tailwind for the next five to 10 years. This unit should be well positioned to win recladding work after the 2024 completion of its $63 million Central Park Tower recladding project, the country's big, biggest recladding project to date, which should serve as an excellent showcase of Duratech's proficiency to prospective clients. DDR, despite its hiccup in results last year, which was the result of delayed government spending, should be poised to return to its full year 2022 results, and over the long term, potentially far greater, thanks to strong demand for remediation work by Aboriginal-owned businesses and DDR's strong competitive pipe uh, position within the space. Wilson's pipe fabrication, most recently delivering just $27 million in annual revenue, has a tremendous opportunity to become quote, as large as defense, close quote, according to top management, or greater than $200 million in annual revenue, driven by domestic geographic expansion and untapped addressable market opportunity. MEND Consulting continues to add enormous value to Duratech and increasingly attract the attention of major asset owners. As mentioned in Duratech's full year 2023 update, one or more existing clients have demonstrated interest in utilizing men's services for other assets they own internationally, demonstrating the value clients are finding in men's consulting services. We remain excited about Duratech's long-term business prospects and its potential to generate attractive returns for our partnership. There's a high likelihood in our view of double-digit growth to persist across most or all of Duratech's business segments for the foreseeable future, and we believe this could reasonably allow the company to deliver $1 to $1.2 billion Aussie dollars in revenue in four to five years at similar bottom line margins as today, or 40 to $50 million in net income. We look forward to monitoring Duratech's evolution. Closing thoughts. Thank you for taking an interest in our latest letter. I'm excited about our partnership's future. I remain confident that our partnership's North Star will always be to compound our capital at the highest rate of return responsibly possible. In some respects, this approach may render our partnership uninvestable by many institutional investors. That is perfectly fine by me. We will continue to accept as partners only those who understand and who are aligned with our objective. If you wish to learn more about the partnership, please feel free to reach out to me directly. Our partnership currently welcomes introductions to new investors who are aligned with our philosophy and our long-term approach. Accredited investors interested in receiving future letters can also register on our website at www.sorapeakcapital.com. I value the trust you have placed in me to invest your hard-earned capital, as the substantial majority of my own wealth is presently invested alongside yours. I look forward to writing to you again next quarter. Most sincerely, Jonathan Kuka War. This is Greenhaven Road Capital's Q3 2023 letter. Dear fellow investors, the fund returned approximately 3% net in the third quarter, bringing year-to-date returns to 30% net. Returns may vary by fund and investment class. Please check your individual statements. The theme of our last letter was one day closer. I laid out that, on average, the companies that we own are getting stronger with each passing day. While the progress may not always be reflected in the share price, there should be a steady march forward for our businesses. The PE multiple at which a company trades changes every millisecond the market is open. Building a business, however, takes decades. The net result of this disconnect can create discrepancies between the progress a business makes and its share price, and the disconnect can widen or narrow in any day, month, quarter, or year. 
Over the course of a typical day, the share price is entirely determined by changes in expectations, which can be boiled down to changes in multiple. Over the course of a month or a quarter, the largest determinant of share price will be the multiple, which can be influenced by macro factors such as changes in interest rates or the health of the economy. However, over longer periods, business progress will be the primary driver of returns. Time is the friend of the talented management team. Time is the friend of the advantage business. The macro dominates today's investor, investor conversations. What is the Fed thinking? When will the Fed act? Where is the price of oil headed? When will the recession start? How long will it last? In my time on the operating side of business, macro considerations were secondary. Sure, we knew about unemployment rates and if the economy was in a recession, but 99% of the time our heads were down trying to figure out how to grow our sales pipeline, serve our customers, manage our expenses, and recruit A players as team members. Never once was a decision made because of changes to the Federal Reserve dot plots or a forecast for the rate of change to core CPI x housing. Over time, Greenhaven Road's success will be tied to how well the management teams we are invested in navigate their operating challenges, and if they have the balance sheet to survive the inevitable ups and downs of the business cycle, not the macro conversation investors obsess over. Overnight success. On October 5, PAR issued a press release saying that they had been selected as the exclusive point-of-sale software and service provider with Brink POS and Marketplace Order Management Software with Menu Link for Burger King, traditional restaurants in North America. How did it happen? What does it mean? From the outside, it is difficult to know exactly what happened, but it appears that there is a combination of factors at PAR, Burger King, and within the industry that contributed to this customer win. Jeff Bezos said, quote, all overnight success takes about 10 years, close quote. Parr's journey to landing Burger King started about nine years ago when they purchased the Brink POS system, which was at the time used in just 300 locations. Brink enjoyed years of rapid growth, but underinvestment in the underlying technology and the strategy of promising customized versions to land larger new customers led to the software being unwieldy and difficult to maintain and update across its many versions. When Savneet Singh became CEO in 2019, neither the software nor the company could have serviced or supported a mega tier one customer like Burger King. In fact, PAR's own customers were screaming at them. At the time, PAR's net promoter score, an indication of how likely a customer is to recommend you, was similar to that of cable companies, which are hardly the paragon of customer service. A wise decision was made to slow growth and fix the software. The PAR of 2023 is vastly different than the PAR of 2019. Over the past four years, the team has been strengthened. Offshore software development resources have been added. The software has been rewritten, and the balance sheet has been fixed through a capital raise. More importantly, the company culture has changed, and the customer value proposition has increased as additional modules have been bought or built, including back office, loyalty, online ordering, drive through and payments. Burger King would have been crazy to partner with the PAR of five years ago, but now you could argue they would be crazy not to partner with the PAR of today. The demands on Burger King's POS and technology stack have increased notably over the past decade as the operating environment of Tier 1 QSRs, or quick service restaurant chains, has gotten significantly more complicated. Multiple software systems must all speak to each other. For example, 
the PO system, POS system needs to exchange data with the mobile app, online ordering site, multiple delivery services such as DoorDash, as well as the loyalty program and the back office slash inventory management system. Having the systems working and speaking with each other is critical. An order placed online that does not get transferred to the POS or to the kitchen becomes lost revenue and an angry customer. Burger King invested enormous resources to navigate their technical challenges, bringing in the former CIO of McDonald's, employing over 100 software engineers, and spending more than $60 million to reinvigorate their technology. In the end, senior management did not think it was enough and decided to pivot. The top three technology executives departed, and the company issued the RFP that PAR eventually won. It's worth going through the minutia about PAR's history and the rise in complexity of the POS in the fast food restaurant technology stack because I want to hammer home two critical points. One, PAR has evolved and is ready to win more very large customers. Two, Burger King is likely not unique. More is being asked of the POS and restaurant technology, and large chains that try to do it themselves are at a greater risk of falling behind. There are several QSR whales out there, including Wendy's, McDonald's, Taco Bell, and Subway, to name a few. What does signing Burger King mean for PAR? With the stroke of a pen, they added more than 7,000 restaurant locations to their existing base of roughly 22,000, so it's a meaningful customer win. Burger King should provide approximately $25 million a year in annual recurring revenue on a base of approximately $130. So PAR's ARR should grow almost 20% just from Burger King locations in North America. It will take approximately two years to complete the Burger King installations, during which time PAR's ARR growth rate should climb from 25% or more to close to greater than 35% per year. Being selected as the exclusive POS for Burger King North America is an outstanding outcome, and there are likely several additional waves of growth from this single announcement. Why? Burger King is owned by Restaurant Brands International, RBI, which also controls Tim Hortons and Popeyes. RBI has put their crown jewel, Burger King USA, exclusively on PAR's platform for POS and online ordering, stepping back from internal development and towards standardized data from a single platform. If the Burger King implementation proceeds well, Tim Hortons and Popeyes are the next logical steps, as the, as the same industrial logic that went into selecting PAR for Burger King North America applies to these other chains as well. Popeyes has 2,700 locations, and Tim Hortons has more than 5,300. In other words, 8,000 plus locations are likely to convert to PAR in the next two to five years, which would represent another 25 million plus in ARR. PAR needs to execute. But wait, there's more. There's also There are also 10,000 Burger King locations outside of North America that restaurant brands should logically want on the PAR platform. International locations are harder because of language, tax, and support challenges, so these rollouts are likely to be the third phase of implementations. Pricing is likely lower for international, but in round numbers, it will likely add another 20 million in ARR on top of the 25 plus million from Burger King North America and 25 plus million from Tim Hortons and Popeyes, the next logical step. But wait, there's still more. The Burger King transition to PAR is part of their Reclaim the Flame program, which is committing $400 million to finance franchise updates and upgrades, likely involving significant hardware sales to PAR. Those hardware sales should be profitable and include PAR drive through and kiosks, on which PAR gets additional software fees. Burger King franchisees also use PAR products Punch and Data Central, so additional sales of those software offerings seem highly likely as well. 
At the Burger King franchisee show in Miami, the Burger King restaurant of the future booth looked like a PAR showroom. Everywhere an attendee looked, they saw PAR hardware and PAR software. The Burger King is an enormous win for PAR. Perhaps even more importantly, the win also opens the door for other Tier 1 customers. It's also a massive way to launch their menu online ordering offering within the United States since Burger King is a great reference account. Will Burger King, Popeyes, or Tim Hortons show up in this quarter's numbers? No, they will not. In fact, in the short term, there will likely be some elevated expenses for onboarding and support. But this is a massive win and benefits could exceed the 25, 50, or 70 million in ARR. The Burger King signing marked a new chapter for PAR, validating their unified commerce strategy and showing that they can win RFPs over the largest legacy POS software companies for super tier one accounts. Theoretically, nine years in the making, the Burger King win should roll through PAR's financial statement for years to come. I'm spending a lot of time on PAR because it is our largest position. The share price has gone down since the Burger King announcement and greatly lagged the business progress over the last five years. Fortunately, the business has gotten significantly better along just about every metric I can think of. PAR has gone from a single POS offering with significant technical debt and several distracting legacy businesses to a company with six primary offerings capable of landing Burger King. This growth was assisted by capital raise and acquisitions funded with stock, so the most appropriate way to view this business progress, in my opinion, is on a per-share basis. The chart below shows the annual recurring revenue on a per-share basis, and it's showing that ARR per share went from $0.92 cents in 2018 to $4.92 in 2023, estimated, without Burger King. <coughs> Back to the... Uh, letter. PAR has grown from less than $1 per share in ARR in 2018 to more than $4.50 today and should end the year at just under $5. If you want to give them credit for just Burger King North America, which is signed, you get almost $6 per share in ARR. Tim Horton slash Popeyes would add another $1 per share in ARR and Burger King International will get you another dollar. PAR has also made substantial investments that are not yet showing up in revenue, but will begin contributing in 2024, including Menu, the online ordering platform, and Table Service, to name two. PAR has single-digit market share, a strong product offering, a favorable competitive landscape, and a history of successful acquisitions and product development. PAR should have multiple shots on goal at other large tier ones. None of these waves of growth require massive R&D or massive marketing spend. The products are built and the customers already exist. PAR should inflect a profitability in 2024 and never look back. Given the, given the foundation that has been built, there is reason to believe that the next five years of operating progress will be even better than the last five years, and today's sub-billion dollar valuation will seem quaint. With the October 5 announcement of Burger King, we got one day closer, but in my opinion, we are far, far from the final destination. Top holdings. In addition to PAR, our other top holdings include Burfer Capital, BUR, KKR, API Group, APG, and Celebrate, CLBT. Burford is a litigation funder that funds legal cases for a portion of the proceeds. The company's downside is limited to the cost of funding a lawsuit, and their upside is limited only by the size of the settlement or jury award. Burford's most successful investment to date has been YPF 
where they funded a case against the government of Argentina, which privatized the YPF oil company without providing compensation to shareholders. During the third quarter, a judge ruled a judge in New York ruled in favor of Bur- of Burford and other YPF claimants in every way possible. Burford's share of the verdict is six point two billion and accruing interest at over $300 million per year. This is quite significant relative to Burford's $3, million, $3 billion market cap, though the market is discounting the award because Argentina has a history of trying to avoid pain. In my opinion, if Burford is going to be successful, a few massive cases like YPF will drive a significant portion of the returns. In venture capital, this dynamic is referred to as power law. As the investor Peter Thiel said, the biggest secret in venture capital is that the best investment in a successful fund equals or outperforms the entire rest of the fund combined. On paper, this has already been the case with YPF, where Burford has invested a total of $35 million to date. Yes, on paper, that is a 177 bagger. Burford has already Burford already sold $7 million of their investment for $236 million, or more than a 30 bagger. It is likely that Burford will take a discount to collect their $6.2 billion YPF judgment, but given that their basis is only $28 million, whatever the discount, the return should be eye-popping. Over the course of the summer, we spent significant energy looking at other cases that Burford has funded. The company is intentionally opaque and will not discuss individual cases for many reasons, including confidentiality. However, After sifting through thousands of pages of court documents via the public access resource PACER, Burford presentations, SEC filings, and news media accounts, there is reason to believe that Burford has line of sight to another multi-billion dollar award where collectability is far less of an issue than with YPF. Given the multiple sources and triangulation involved, the presentation of our analysis is far more suited to PowerPoint than a quarterly letter. We will email the presentation to all limited partners next week, but for now, rest assured, I believe Burford is far is worth far more than the $13 per share Mr. Market has ascribed it. KKR. By market cap, KKR is the largest company we own, and it is also the highest quality one. It is also the highest quality as one of the oldest and most reputable private equity firms. The industry is still growing on the order of 10% per year as large investors like endowments and pension funds continue to increase their allocations to private equity. KKR's next legs of growth should come from their growing high net worth franchise, currently less than 5% of AUM, and offerings for insurance companies. KKR is rapidly growing both their base of investors and the slate of products that they offer, with funds ranging from a classic private equity fund to private credit to climate-focused investments. KKR has a durable business with almost half of their capital being permanent. Coupled with a bulletproof balance sheet, KKR can outlast us all. Despite this quality, shares trade at a discount to the market. In round numbers, at the end of the quarter, KKR traded at 12 times consensus 2024 earnings versus 17 times for the overall market, despite ending the second quarter with more than $20 per share in net cash and total investments. The rate of growth may moderate or accelerate with changes in interest rates and GDP growth rates, but the steady march up should continue. Next year, KKR should also benefit from being included into the S&P 500 as it should meet all the criteria, creating a wave of forced buyers. API Group, APG. The investment thesis remains the same. API Group has a wonderful asset light fire slash life safety business whose customers are legally required to purchase their types of services. 
This business has has grown organically at mid to high single digits with incremental growth coming from tuck-in acquisitions. With very low customer churn for their non-discretionary services, API revenues and earnings should grow with the passage of time, and 2024 earnings should benefit from the resolution of supply chain issues and the company's full digestion of its large acquisition chub. A return should come from a combination of improved earnings through organic growth, small acquisitions, and margin improvement. The real juice, if there is any, will come from multiple expansion as there are large as there are several asset light non-cyclical businesses trading at two times APG's multiple. Celebrate. Celebrate provides tools to law enforcement to extract data slash evidence from cell phones, analyze the data, and manage the data. Solving many crimes without their tools is inconceivable. They are mission critical. One of the best indicators of business quality is pricing power. The ability to raise price only comes with attributes such as high switching costs and a limited competitive landscape. Celebrate benefits from both, but has not aggressively flexed their pricing power to date. After being acquired by private equity, the company's competitor, Grayshift, has reportedly been raising prices by more than 30% on select products. Celebrate is taking a more of a velvet glove approach, offering newer products with more functionality at higher prices, e.g. their premium offering which offers additional features and is, in fact, premium, but is also 40 to 50% more expensive. The combination of raising prices, introducing new products, and cross-selling analytics products should fuel growth for the next several years. Extracting data from devices and making sense of it is not going to get easier, nor is it going to become less mission critical. Law enforcement needs tools to fight crime, and Celebrate is the leading arms dealer to collect and review data from mobile phones. Over the course of the quarter, Celebrate hired an executive chairman from the private equity firm Vista Equity Partners. It will be interesting to see if he can apply any of the Vista playbook to Celebrate operations and if he can help put some of the $230 million in cash that Celebrate has on its books to work via acquisitions. At just over three times 2024 revenue and profitable, Celebrate is priced at a significant discount to peers as if growth will evaporate. I suspect that over time, growth occurs and multiples expand, or a firm like Vista Equity Partners acquires them. During the quarter, we made no new significant investments. Any available capital went into increasing exposure to PAR, given my optimism about signing Burger King and LifeCore, LFCR, which I believe has significant upside if they are successful in their sales process. Shorts. We remain short the flying taxi company that has the trifecta of regulatory risk, technology risk, and business model risk, and you could arguably throw in a healthy dose of execution risk. Shares remain up on the year, but I do not think time is the friend of this business. We're also short another, quote, science project, quote, battery company with no currently viable product and two years of funding remaining. For them, every passing day brings them one day closer to bankruptcy. We are short an EV manufacturer that produced only 1,550 vehicles last quarter, which is down from last year. This is a subscale manufacturer that loses money with each car sold. In an increasingly competitive market with declining prices, it seems hard to justify a $10 billion valuation at the end of the quarter. We added an additional short during the third quarter in a company facing significant litigation with the potential for treble damages for their actions and potential liabilities far in excess of their market caps. The litigation will take time to play out, but given the low margins, commodity nature of their product, and capital intensity, it is an unlikely candidate for a GameStop-type short squeeze and has the potential to decline by more than 50%. 
We are also short three major indices. For the first time in the history of game, of Greenhaven Road, we also bought some insurance in the form of out-of-the-money options. This was possible in August when puts on indices declined to their lowest prices in almost 20 years. The puts will soften the blow of any major decline in equity prices and are both an insurance policy and allow us to remain invested in the turbulent times. Outlook. Investors are people. Almost all of us consume news, and it is not and it is hard not to be impacted by events around us. There is the war in Ukraine and the very dire, unstable situation in Israel and Palestine. The U.S. Congress does not have a Speaker of the House, inflation is stubborn, and everyone expects a recession. The only argument is when. Right now, it is a slog to be informed. As a citizen, I am depressed, but as an investor, I am fully engaged. With small caps down for the year, we are entering a time of year when tax loss selling accelerates. We are seeing some violent moves in equity prices. In many cases, in my opinion, the balance sheets are being ignored, as are new contracts. We are in a show-me market. It feels like a rainy season, but I think seeds are being planted. We have had multiple 50% plus up years. The returns come in chunks. I don't know when the chunks are coming, but the gap between business progress and share price for our portfolio feels very wide. Fundamentals ignored, macro dominating, multiples can continue to press, but when they eventually stop, I believe that we are well positioned. Watching the news can be depressing. Pandemics can surge and wars can be fought, but through it all, pensions are still going to invest in private equity, police will still need to extract data from cell phones, and people will still eat fast food. Multiples will go up and multiples will go down, but as long as the companies we own can keep winning the Burger Kings, we are one day closer. Sincerely, Scott. Today's episode is also brought to you by Marhelm Data. Marhelm is an information service for investors to find real value in an overvalued market. With a focus on shipping and commodities, Marhelm helps you stay on the pulse of global trade, track global sentiment, and identify compelling global investment opportunities. ValueHive listeners can get 20% off a Marhelm data subscription by using the code VALUE at checkout. That's V-A-L-U-E at checkout. Head on over to marhelm.com, M-A-R-H-E-L-M.com to get your discount today.